Welcome to the latest episode of the Flower Pot Podcast. My name's Bruce Langridge. Uh, my guest today is William Sims, our Heritage Officer for the National Botanic Garden of Wales. Hello, William. Hello, Bruce. Lovely to be with you today. Yeah, and we've just about caught you in time, William, because you're about to leave. Uh, uh, we'll, we'll talk about that later, but you've been with us now for how long? Just over a year. Uh, about exactly a year, I think. Well, your post is something that was completely new here, and the sort of things you've kind of been doing and digging up and, and, and dealing with are kind of really new and really interesting sort of um, issues for a botanic garden. So, um, but just let's get started. You, so you're a heritage officer. To tell me where you came from, what was your background before you came here? So uh, I first entered the, uh, the museum world, I worked at South Wales Miners Museum after studying history at university. I was collections officer there, so I dealt with a lot of their, co- uh, their collections and cataloguing and things like that. And we were able to get accreditation from for that museum. And then from there, I went to the National Waterfront Museum. And uh, I was I worked as a learning participation and interpretation officer there, which has got all three huge different things <laughs> under it. But uh, and from there, I came to the, to the Botanic Garden. OK, because I, I have a museum background myself, so I, I know how the... Um sort of the skill sets kind of overlap in a little Venn diagram way. But there's, and, and some of the, um, the, f- the fact that you're going to be interested in museums almost makes you, by definition, interested in what botanic gardens do, I think. We're all slightly geeky, would you say? that? I'm, I, that's probably a bit of a harsh word, but I, I'm a geek, so I'm quite happy to say that. I, I, I'm the same. I'm very much of that temperament as well. But I think both of those sorts of organisations aim. The aim is to interpret items whether it be a plant collection whether it be another sort of collection but the aim is to use those collections to inspire and to educate and I, I'm sure you're the same but we have early childhood memories of going into organizations like the ones we're talking about and you come away with those memories in your head and that's what leads you to go on to a career and yeah. that I want to give that exact same experience to the people that I'm writing interpretation for or that I'm working with day to day yeah I must say, uh, when I worked in a museum, which was up in Oldham in Manchester, we the, one of the big differences for me is that everything here was kind of outdoors, so it was a kind of change from day to day. You know, before that, we had, we kind of control our environmental conditions and the, mm-hmm. almost the way people walk around. You can't do that here; it's all over the shop. But uh, I kind of enjoyed the challenge for that. Although occasionally you do a lot of work about something, maybe a plant, and uh, you get really excited about it, about to publish it, and the plant just drops dead don't have that problem in a museum normally do you not not normally <laughs> no um but saying that some of my fake uh, uh the curator at big pit uh, kerry thompson is a big friend of mine and i think he's probably the best artifact slash object at the, the national museum of wales because <laughs> he was an ex-miner and he knows everything inside out so i think that you could put him in a box and he'd be a pretty good artefact in himself. <laughs> I like that. I mean, telling stories is what we're yeah. here for. We're not here just to give out loads of facts yeah. which can bore people after a, a while. Everything has to have context. We have to um, get excited ourselves and then share our enthusiasm and excitement. And I can see that you're one of those people who can do that. But what was it specifically that drew you to working here at the Botanic Garden? Because it's a bit of a shift, isn't it, from just working in a museum? So I can remember it really quite vividly I can remember going through 
the application form and it was the description of the job role and it described um, that there had been a change in the interpretive narrative for the Regency Restoration Project and that more focus was going to be paid to historical presentation, including the social heritage. And that coincides with my interests, but also my yeah. background. Uh, and being able to, um, to talk about the balance uh, between the tales of the wealthy landowner, but also those who, whose wealth created their, their, their vast um, land ownership. That really interested me. Yeah. And the chance to work at a national organisation, because the National Botanic Garden of Wales is here for all of the people of Wales. And the opportunity yeah. to be involved in a project like this and the opportunity to, opportunity to get to speak to all of the people of Wales was something that I wanted to do. Great. Now, we're going to talk about different aspects of the work that you've done over the year. And we're going to start... Straight away, really. I mean, a lot of a lot of interpretation. I mean, interpretation can come in many different forms. Even in a podcast like this, is a form of interpretation. But um, we uh, have a lot of uh, information that we want to give out to people directly. So we we started with like an interpretation board. So you've done an awful lot of work on that one, which has required a lot of research. So when you first came here, presumably there'd been lots of research done already, or was there a lot for you to learn, or was there a lot more for you to dig out again? The <laughs> The history, uh, there's such a rich history on this estate. There's over 500 years' worth of history just of the wealthy landowners in big houses. But we know that there's, there's it even goes back further to the, uh, the Iron Age and things like that. There's remains of that here on site. But it's the, a key part of this has been the, um, the history research group that we have. Uh, at the Botanic Garden, who are all volunteers, and they have been key to the project team to be able to develop the narrative, to explain the narrative to visitors. So they've been really crucial, and I, I've really enjoyed working with them. They all have their each their own little speciality, a period of history. And what we've aimed to do is to kind of bring together their amazing skill sets and really get over to our visitor kind of for the first time ever the true history, the, the full history of the estate. Right, okay. And uh, and we're talking about the Middleton estate here, aren't yeah. we? So yeah. could you describe what that actually entails? What What are the physical features of the Middleton estate? Because it's bigger than what the National Botanic Garden of Wales occupies now, which is about 568 acres. But the Middleton estate was bigger than that, wasn't it? So, yes, yeah, so we, we would have... It has... Uh, two quite very distinct periods of history that I'd like uh, to think about. The, the original Middleton estate is created by, obviously, the Middletons, and yeah. they had uh, a grand house which would have been down in on Wayne Last National Nature Reserve. Uh, there was an archaeological, couple of archaeological digs done down there in about 2011, 2012, which uncovered uh, some of their version of the mansion house. But then about 150 years later, we have uh, Sir William Paxton who comes along, who creates his version of Middleton Hall. So um, he, ta- he literally takes some of the stones from the original Middleton house and builds it into his version of Middleton Hall, which includes Great Lakes. But what links these two different uh, periods is that both the Middletons and Sir William Paxton made their money from the East India Company. Oh, yeah. The uh, the original Middletons made their money mainly in traded spices. Um, 
there was a particular island uh, in, called the Maluka Islands where they got a lot of nutmeg from. This, this is in what, modern day Indonesia? Yes, yeah. Indonesia, Java, it would have been a, a, around that sort of area. Uh, and I sat down with the head of education for an education package we were working on that talked about the importance of buying fair trade. And we worked out that the Middletons were paying the indigenous workers in, on the Maluka Islands 36p for five pounds of nutmeg. And when they returned to Britain, they were selling it for, um, I believe it was... Three hundred and ninety-six pounds for that Whoa. same amount. <laughs> right, right. So we're talking about significant yeah. markup, yeah. but that story is very much relevant to what we do as a botanic garden every day because of how we emphasise the importance of people buying fair trade for things like their bananas. Yeah. So the history, I believe, that heritage and history and the botanic garden's mission has such opportunity to kind of. Uh, interrelate and to kind of grow off those things. Yeah. Now, that you, what, what you've been doing with him as well is kind of like probably looking at some of the uh, past interpretation done here and, and kind of modernising it to bring in those sort of stories. So when we've been looking at different elements of interpretation that are to get people to go around the restored area, the, yeah. what sort of uh, uh, information have you been looking at for that? So it's about the sources of... It's about making sure that everybody feels comfortable yeah. on the site. And, and due to uh, some of the sources of the wealth that came here, it's about adequately explaining this. So we know that the East India Company, um, its um, control of India uh, was problematic, and we know that that is a significant barrier to those from the affected communities accessing sites such as ours. So it's about adequately explaining that. Uh, and the interpretation that we've created is the first time that that has been acknowledged in yeah. written form on the site. That's yeah. important. Yeah. Uh, and that's something that, as the National Botanic Garden for Wales, and the, for all the people of Wales, something that we must do. So that, that was a key uh, part of that interpretation project but it's not just about one thing and it's about combining all of our missions through those boards so they also talk about the biodiversity uh, yeah. and the amazing things that we have on site and it's about combining it's not an easy task I'm, I'm sure you can attest to that Bruce but yeah. it's about combining all those things yeah because um, e even looking at the idea of engineering I mean it's been really um uh, I mean, we've won awards now for our engineering of all the bridges and uh, and the restoration of the, of the lakes. That's sort of a side that I find tricky. I don't know anything about engineering. And as interpreters, you know, we kind of have to get a bit of a grip on everything, don't we? we and I know for you, doing biodiversity, you've never done biodiversity for, before, have you? No, I haven't, but it just... I, I, I love that challenge of... I love being able to continually learn something new. And that's kind yeah. of what led me to come to the Botanic Garden because I always like to be adding, uh, here's that na uh, nice little piece for your skill set, but also to be permanently interested is just, I, that's what we do, isn't it? <laughs> I just find that so exciting. Yeah. And one of the things I, was, I, I personally found hard with it was tr trying to bring out an, ex an easy explanation of the picturesque yeah. Because the uh, William Paxton commissioned Samuel Lappage, am I right? Is that the, it's never been 
totally proved, but that is okay. what we believe. Yeah. It's quite hard to... There, there's no um, architect going around with his signature on something. It's not as clear, but we believe that some of the curves on some of the bridges suggest that it is Lapid, yes. And Lapid used to work with Capability Brown. He was who, at one stage a an apprentice, yes, I believe. Okay. But they were still um, trying to bring out the fashion of the time, which was the picturesque. Now, I really struggle to actually define the picturesque. I don't know how easy I'm, I'll put you on the spot here. Can you define the picturesque, what they're trying to... I would, as not a garden historian, I would struggle <laughs> to define the picturesque. I know that a lot of its influences came from the, uh, the ideas of um, people travelling to Europe in the 1700s and 1800s, where... Um, people who were able to afford to would tra travel across Europe on what they called a grand tour. They would visit um, properties in Italy and they were absorbing those influences, absorbing those styles and then bringing them back to create them on their own estates. Yeah, and creating big vistas. Yeah. So, uh, so almost like um, having nature, changing it around and then presenting it as a new natural look. Yeah, but also there's the ability to control uh, parts of the landscape. And I, th I think the biggest thing that you can see within our landscape and the key part of the picturesque design here is the contrast. So you have the sereneness of the big lakes like Climau and then you have the, the noise and kind of the, the raw nature of the waterfall and the cascade. And it's very deliberately designed. So you walk round from one from the serene into the other. And things are shielded, things are planted in certain ways. And it's all very clever, but it's kind of like man controlling nature and manipulating it, but in a way for maximum enjoyment and, 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 and impressiveness. So that's been really interesting. To, I'm still no expert on it, but even I, just to be able to see that and realise it, it is wonderful. And I know we've, um, you've walked around with uh, lots of people involved in the, uh, the Regency Restoration Project and you've probably studied many times with people looking at eye lines, just trying to work out the best place to put this, that or the other. And I know we've done work with you, even just putting, we've got finger posts going everywhere, haven't we? Yeah. And trying to get them right has been extremely difficult. Just to, get, just to balance your <laughs> north, east, south and west and get everything on, just to get it... The, and you want people to feel comfortable in the landscape. You don't want to be responsible for anybody getting lost. So it's about get, taking your time and things like that. But it's not an easy task, as you're, I'm sure you're, Bruce. <laughs> That's right. Now, you've also been involved in, in the book publishing as well. Can you tell me a little bit about that? So uh, as part of the project, which is the National Lottery Heritage Fund project, there was... Um, a key part of it was to explain to our visitors the history of the estate. And one of the ways chosen to do that was a book, a publication on, on the history of the estate. Um, starting just before the original Middletons, who made their money in trading spices, and kind of coming up to the present day. The History Research Group uh, volunteers have put this together through their wonderful research, which is over five years of research, if not a little bit longer, because they yeah. kind of created the research that informed the application for the, pro uh, for the project itself. Uh, tying this together in a form where we can uh, put that out 
for for readers at the Salle in our shop and things like that. But it's been wonderfully brought together by Sarah Fox, who's the editor of the piece, who's also a um, historian, and she's really tied together all of these different strands of work. And it's kind of the first time the full history of the Middleton estate has been brought together in a form like this. And that includes elements of uh, Middleton memories, am I right? For people living recordings of people who've lived around here before mm-hmm. and their stories as well that's going to be integrated into the, the definitely book. and so i talked previously about the two uh, versions of the middleton estate uh, and those were the wealthy landowners but come the 1930s uh, the um, the land is bought by the um, Carmarthenshire county council and i view it as being democratized because it was uh, split up into a series of starter farms and you had a series of small farms across the land so the piece of land had after the Paxton left you had the Ab Adams and you had Colonel Jones but these were still worth wealthy landowners with the land being managed kind of as this big hole with one person in the top house but it burns down in the 1930s and then we have this democratisation of the land but i find that really important to be able to make sure we tell that story because we have the story from one landowner to working class people living on that exact uh, on that exact um, same piece of land yeah and then you go from that to the National Botanic Garden of Wales which you know we're open to everybody we want international visitors to come here as well so this piece of land has been on such a massive journey and we, can, we have the chance to tell those stories. And that's what I impo- it's so important that this book does. It tells all of those people's stories. As a sort of historian, what do you do it, uh, for your degree, by the way, which is specialism? And so I did history. It was actually art history. Uh, but um, I focused on female patrons of the arts. Well, I know one of the issues of telling the story of people who uh, live on a land in the... 18th, 17th, 16th century, their stories weren't written down, were they? And this is why it's so hard, I suppose, to really tell a full story of the history. Definitely. And especially when we're looking into um, Paxton in his business dealings in India, we know that a lot of the uh, documentary evidence of that is not here in Britain. uh, And a lot of it was destroyed when the East India Company finally left India as well. So there's still fragments that we're looking to piece together. But the Botanic Garden has the opportunity now to be able to work with um, Botanic Gardens across the world. But I was thinking in terms of working in India, because the East India Company, um, the way that it harvested and asked local farmers to plant certain crops, we know that that would have affected the native Indian biodiversity. So I feel that everything we can do can be linked in that way. So yes, we have those gaps in our knowledge, but our standing as a you know, National Botanic Garden means that we can go ask and ask those universities and those other botanic gardens to help us piece together this thing. That's really interesting, Matt. And you've also done a lot of work with audience development as well, because that's one of the things we've identified, is the sort of people who, who visit us. And you've been uh, really working hard to try and extend the sort of reach that we do. Could you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, and I've always felt that it's so important that everybody within an organisation such as ours 
is uh, is really working with our education department. So I, I think it was on just a couple of weeks ago you spoke to Paul. Paul Smith, yeah. Who um, is our head of education. And wherever I've been, I've always known that in order to get the interpretation that I'm writing across, one of the key ways to do this is to work with the education department. And a lot of the time, it's the education department paying your bills. Because (laughs) you've got your school trips coming in, and it's a key way to get that information across. But also, when I went to museums when I was in school, that's what informed me now being here. So that's really quite important. So I wanted to use the collection here and to use our plant collection and to combine that with the history that is a key part of the Regency Restoration Project. So I've been working with Old Road School. Now where's that? That's in Flanethley. Yeah. And uh, Paul and I went down there and we went down there quite simply with a bag full of spices. So we had nutmeg, we had cinnamon, all sorts of different things, black pepper, and then we took them into the school and we asked them to grind... Well, firstly, we asked them to what they were. And a lot of the children weren't quite sure what a nutmeg was or weren't quite sure what a cinnamon was. I and don't think I would have known in, until my 20s, to be honest with you, really. So, that's, so that was really yeah. interesting in, in itself. Yeah. And, they, and then to... Because cinnamon is the bark of a tree. Well, I certainly didn't know that until I was in my 20s. And yeah. So to be able to begin to break things down like that, but then to incorporate our history and to talk about moving um, the Middletons moving nutmeg from one particular island and it coming here why was it worth all of that money well it was worth all of that money because they were able to cut out the spice trading routes through the Middle East but also it was so important to get across and the uh, the curriculum for Wales really emphasizes this is the importance of fair trade and the uh, the kind of the consequences of our actions so the uh, the the uh, that trade and kind of that unfair trade that we talked about, that money being moved in that way. And it was about being able to use our collection to begin to discuss those subjects with the children before we then brought them to the Botanic Garden. And we showed them black pepper and the tiny little plant that we have in, in the tropical house and where that comes from. And to be able to break down those stories, we're only providing the first little stepping stones, but it then becomes part of a, a wider conversation about the consequences of our actions and the consequences of trade and things like that. Yeah. And that is so much, especially when so many of the species that we have here are under, under threat and you have, we know that climate change disproportionately affects these sorts of crops, but also people that live in those communities. So it's about starting a much wider conversation, but using our collection as that initial stimulus to get it all going. What sort of emotional response did you get from these children? How old were they? They were eight, nine and ten year olds. Okay. And it's quite amazing because they were already so engaged I think their school already has a fair trade initiative and they all really know about that subject but are also passionate about that subject. And especially climate change, it's really, it really hits home with them. And yeah. th- they bring so much passion, but also well, the one th- thing I found about writing with Old Roads, uh, working with Old Roads, was that we, it was very much a can-do attitude of what we can do. And I find that really quite impressive 
but uh, we've put together the responses and we're creating a, a leaflet that uses the words of the children yeah. um, that will, will be available to visitors. And that means that we've created a resource for young people, written by young people. And that's the kind of the perfect thing, because you aren't guessing what young people think. You've asked them what they think, yeah. and they've told you. And I think that is so important. That's also the future for our sector. Now you, you, that trail is called Deep Roots, yeah. um, and it's going to be mainly based in our tropical house. Yeah. Do you want to just talk a little bit about some of the plants that are in there? So a, uh, some of the plants that are in there, so we've I've got black pepper, um, we've got uh, bananas and breadfruit. Uh, and we, bananas uh, and all of those kind of, they have a history of being exploited. Uh, and the people around them, there's been quite uh, a prolonged historic connection between the uh, the harvesting of these crops and the enslavement of individuals as well. So we've discussed uh, we've discussed that uh, because it's important that our collections are not just things that you just look at. They inform us yeah. as well, and so. It's been a really, a quite, um, really, really quite interesting to get these young people in and, and to, to hear what they think. Because it, your mind is changing every day and you're being informed more and more. Now you've also dealt with an older community, haven't you? You brought in uh, the Windrush Group from Cardiff? Yeah, so I've been working with uh, Race Council Cymru for a, a fair few couple of months now uh, because a lot of the... Uh, the issues uh, that I was dealing with day to day I just needed some advice about terminology uh, and they're also an incredibly inspirational group uh, and in passing they said that their uh, Windrush Elders Cymru group had previously thought about coming to the Botanic Garden and that they had decided that it, it perhaps it wouldn't be for them that they would feel uncomfortable here or that it wasn't for them well obviously everybody in the office was that's not what we want to hear that's upsetting to us so we've worked with them uh, um, uh, brought them to the garden and we had a fantastic day and it was about breaking down the barriers of what people think a botanic garden is and also who a botanic garden is for because it's for everybody yeah. um, and the, the things that you can learn here the skills that you can learn here just from being in the environment can inform our day to day lives so it was a massive honour to be able to bring them to the garden and to begin that conversation because that doesn't stop there. That barrier doesn't stop after one visit. Yeah. It, it's prolonged and, we have to, uh, and we'll have activity plans going forward about, OK, uh, we want this audience to be more welcomed, uh, to feel more at home here. Yeah. Because I had never visited the garden before... I started to look at the job and things like that. And it was kind of about thinking, well, why hadn't I visited the garden before? Yeah. And thinking about what a botanic garden is. Are there any other groups as well you think we should be sort of uh, trying to bring over here? So I, I, the key for one for me would be young people. Because right. people come on school trips and yeah. they're hugely engaged with all the amazing work that Paul does. But I think the botanic garden is so well placed now to be really hitting home on the messages of the climate crisis yeah. and, and kind of how immediate our action needs to be 
the key uh, part of this will be the response of young people. They are engaged with these messages. Yeah. Everybody loves Sir David Attenborough. Yeah. Everybody loves him. <laughs> yeah. We need those same people that are watching all those programmes to be in the Botanic Garden week after week, adding to... Uh, giving us feedback on exhibitions, on how we can better represent that. Yeah, I know our new curator, Alex Summers, is very keen on this as well, and we'll be talking to Alex soon on the on our podcast. I'd be very interested to hear how he practically will be doing that as well. Yeah. You're leaving us, sadly, but um, uh, very sadly, but this work will continue because you've started the ball rolling, and that's what we really needed, I think. Yeah, I'm confident that there is such an amazing team that I've worked with here. Um, a really key part of the support whilst I've been there has, be, has been David Hardy in marketing, yeah. um, Morgan Ward, who was my the uh, Regency project manager for a time, have really allowed me the platform to be able to go out and engage with these groups. So I couldn't have done it without those two. And you've worked very close with Ang Harrod Phillips, who we had a previous podcast about. And she was talking very much more about just the project itself, wasn't she? Ang Harrod is so enthusiastic, but also so incredibly talented. And her, her knowledge and her skill has really guided this project. And what is it that you particularly miss when you leave here, William? Just the wonderful... Just to be able to, able to think at lunchtime, right, where am I going to go for a walk today? <laughs> am I going to go into Wayne Lass? Am I going to go into the Great Glass House? Am I going to go down and sit by the waterfall? Just the sheer variation that we have here and that there is really something for everybody. Yeah. And just tell us what you're going to go on to next. So I'm going to be an associate curator for the Science Museum group and I'm going to be working on their internal moves project. So they're moving a lot of their collection from its storage in London out to their collection centre at Swindon. Uh, And it's going to be, it's a huge project with so many different sorts of objects. They've got everything from hovercrafts to a decommissioned Polaris missile and things like that. So really quite varied. I really hope it's decommissioned too. Um, so, and I'm going to be the curator attached to that. So it's as objects come in, working out right, what is the, what is the next stage of this object's life? Where can we get it out into a museum? And what interpretation can we do with it? But also, how can we teach? How can we get the messages that inspire me out to as many different people as possible. Um, from a heritage point of view, where do you think we should be heading as a botanic garden here? I mean, I think you already hinted that we should be looking abroad, maybe. To... I think we should definitely be uh, looking abroad. We need to further explore the sources of wealth that came to the botanic garden during that time, because a lot uh, of research, as it always is, is incomplete. We just need to continue down that road. But I also think that we need to continue our emphasis on the working people that lived on uh, the Middleton estate throughout its history. So when Paxton lived here, he didn't live alone. He had servants and things like that. And we need to just uh, continue to look into this history because we know that because of how successful the Middleton Memories exhibition was, that our visitors engage with this. So I think that will continue. I'm very confident that that will continue and that the garden and its history will become richer because of that. Okay, and I know you've, you've obviously joined the garden during the times of COVID, so, you know, we had ideas of doing lots of events and things like that. 
Is there, um, is there anything you, you're very sorry that you weren't able to do because of COVID? Just kind of, yeah, your, your huge days where you have as many people in the garden as possible. A lot of the tours that I've led and things like that have been limited because of COVID uh, and things like that. But I, I'm still looking forward to coming back to the Botanic Garden as a visitor. And I, I think I've become a member just because I love this place so much. And yeah, I look forward to coming back continually. Okay, William, I wish you very really well for the future and I hope you do come back because uh, you've really added something really precious to this place. And it's been so lovely to work with you, Bruce. I really have learned so much oh. just, from, just from you. So thank you very much. Thank you.